Drums, please. <laughs> Slightly transformed Just a bit of a break from the norm Just a little something to break the monotony Of all that hardcore dance That has gotten to be a little bit out of control It's cool to dance But what about a groove that soothes and moves romance Give me a soft subtle mix And if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it And think of the summers of the past Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast Pop in my CD and let me run around And put your car on cruise and lay back Cause it's the summertime And checking out the fellas to tell them who's best Riding around in your Jeep or your Benzos Or in your Nissan sitting on Lorenzo's Back in Philly we be out in the park A place called the Plateau is where everybody go Guys out hunting and girls doing likewise Honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes She turn around to see what you beeping at It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac And with a pen and pad I compose this rhyme To hit you and to get you equipped for the summertime Summer, summer, summertime, the summertime. Shout out to Will Smith, man. That is literally a classic, ladies and gentlemen. That being said, greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Three Man Weave. Three Man Weave is brought to you by the good folks at ChairShot Radio in conjunction with TheChairShot.com, reminding you to always use your head. And make sure you use your heads and go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and pick up an official Chair Shot t-shirt. We've got something for everybody. We've got Jesus Did the Job, Save Tag Team Wrestling, Hashtag Journalism. If you enjoy the content that we provide day in and day out at TheChairShot.com, make sure you show us some love. And make sure we can keep providing that fire content that you love so much by going to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot and picking up a t-shirt. It's We're not PBS. We don't depend on viewers like you we depend on listeners like you please and thank you thank you and please i'm mr velvet pipes christopher platt as always i'm joined by my brother from another mother ray cash and the commissioner pc tutty he couldn't make it this week unfortunately he's getting his anal glands bleached so we send our shout out support love and prayers to our commissioner and i make sure i pray that he makes it through that particular procedure we found a hell of a replacement, ladies and gentlemen. The host of Bandwagon Nerds. Put your hands together and show your love for the one, the only, P.O.D. himself, Mr. Patrick O'Dowd. Mr. O'Dowd, number one, thank you for coming on this week. And I, I feel like I have to tell the people, man, we kind of, in our private DM chats, man, you and I, I feel like we bonded on another we level, man. We did bond. Yes. 
Yes. Oh my! I, that was the most unexpected. Like, and I was just replying to your tweet. Like, like you put out a tweet about how great Freddie Mercury was, and I was like, "You don't know the half." And then I learned that you did know the half. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big, big Queen fan, and have been since I was a kid. Have I think I told this in our, I told you this in our private chat. The one thing I regret is that I never got to see Freddie in person live uh, because he passed away before I could see it in a concert. I've been to see Queen with Adam Lambert a few times. Still a hell of a show. And uh, don't underestimate Brian May on a guitar, by the way. Very undervalued uh, lead guitarist. That's the thing about Queen, man. And again, we we bonded over our, our mutual standship of Queen, but... Obviously, Freddie Mercury had a beautiful voice, one of the most beautiful voices in the history of civilization. But I think that the I think like the the instrumental of Queen gets overlooked because Freddie Mercury is such a character. But, yeah, the guitarmanship and even the drummership, those yeah, get Taylor. overlooked in Queen. Yeah, that, those tend to get overlooked because when, Freddie Mercury cast such a big shadow. When your lead singer is a rocket scientist, I think you'll be all right. Uh, that's not lead singer. I mean, your lead guitarist. I mean, yeah, lead guitarist. Yeah, he's a, a rocket scientist. I think he'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, he, he'll be he all right. has his PhD. He is ridiculous. The thing I think is really interesting about a Queen concert, by the way, no matter when you go, it's the same set. Nice. Yes, it is. Yeah, you know nice. what you're getting. They they know what you want to hear, and they still they still bring it every time. So we and Adam Lambert uh, never tries to pretend to be Freddie Mercury. Just he he owns it up front. Actually says in the concert, he's like, "I'm not Freddie, not gonna try to be Freddie. We're gonna pay tribute to Freddie, and that's what they do every every show that I've ever seen them do." And the funny thing about Queen is, man, they're so entrenched or ensconced in the pop culture lexicon that there's a lot of songs that you know as a person, but don't even realize that that's Queen. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? That's yeah. How many songs do they have that are so interested in, in pop culture and you don't even realize, oh, that's Queen? And then well, you go back and like, oh, that's Queen? Well, this is a sports show, yeah. yeah. We're Rocky, we are the champions. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, as much as I don't like the movie, I loved that it put a new spotlight on the band uh, and yeah. got and, and started creating some new fans. So that you could, like, Don't Stop Me Now has become this song that's played all over the place on commercials and whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a as a band, you talked about their musicianship. If you go and look through their their history, they they never stuck to a single genre. You can't say that they were like a glam rock band. You can't say that they were a disco band. You can't say that. I mean, they have they played blues. They played soul. They they have some metal riffs. There is a song called Sheer Heart Attack on an album called News of the World, which if you were just to play it, you're like, that doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard them do. Yet, oh, it's crazy. And my favorite song by them is a nine-minute prog rock song on the same album as Bohemian Rhapsody called The Prophet Song. And the the work that they did with sound and overdubbing and the vocals mm-hmm. is crazy. And in a headset... If like if you were listening to it in your ear headphones right now, it feels like everybody's just around you. Like the whole song, it just takes it's it's obscenely uh, uh, ostentatious, and it just it challenges you to be like judge this, and you can't because it's just so good. Like they were so they are so good. They were 
amazingly talented. And we lost Freddie way too damn soon. I was stunned that you hadn't seen that video I sent you. But uh, if you haven't seen a guy own 100,000 people, watch the actual recording of uh, Queen at Live Aid in 1985. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's it, it it's amazing. He like like Patrick said, he literally owned one hundred thousand people. He had them at the palm of his head. And when it comes to showmanship and 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 stage presence, it's Freddie Mercury, it's Michael Jackson, and then it's everybody else. You might want to throw Prince in there as well, but it's everybody else other than that. And you know the funny thing you you brought up Bohemian Rhapsody. Number one, if you you to really understand the greatness of Bohemian Rhapsody, you have to listen to it in headphones because in in terms of their harmony and the riffs and what they did, but just on its surface, these melon farmers literally did a six minute opera. Mm-hmm. Like they built up to the point, and then it got to the crescendo, and then they bring you back out as well. They literally did a six minute opera in this song, and how can you not hear that song and not know that? Yeah, th- this is it. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to outlive you. I, so, I got nothing. I got, a, I got a question as the young guy in, on, on the show. Um, so I've, I've known about Queen my whole life. I've always loved Freddie Mercury, but I really got reinterested to, into them again because of the movie, as you said, um, and did a deep dive into the catalog and the history and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the one thing the movie mentioned that I this is, by the way, a, a sports podcast. We'll talk sports, I promise. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but the one thing the movie mentioned that I didn't know because I was born in 88 was that Bohemian Rhapsody didn't do anything on the charts at first. And then it was like years later because of Wayne's World that it became like the behemoth. Oh, that yeah. it is. is that true? That's that's pretty. I mean, it was a it was a known song. Wayne's World really brought the band back into the public spotlight and that video that and the, the them in the car doing the head banging and all that stuff. And that's what really brought me really into it. Cause I saw that movie, saw that video, that video was played on MTV all the time. Cause MTV used to show music videos, kids 30 years yes. ago. This was a, this was yeah, a thing they, that happened. They did. And um, you couldn't escape that video. And I remember going through my dad's LPs, and he had a night at the opera. He had news of the world. He had um, their their self titled album. He had day at the races. Like all these these great albums, and you know they really pushed for Bohemian Rhapsody to get played originally in the airtime, and that was this the song that won out as the first signal signal or single. Ugh, sorry, single that got a lot of airplay in Britain and got popular in the United States. But then when Queen's popularity really waned when Freddie died, because they were still making they were making albums up until 92. Mm. And if you read about the Freddie Mercury literally was on his deathbed doing vocals for their last album and like their, their last public appearance where they accept an award. He looks horrible and he didn't he didn't actually come out and announce to announce publicly that he was dying of AIDS until the day before he died. Like he announced it in a press release and then died the next day. And they, they were never, they never were like a top charter in the United States. They only had like one number one hit. And, uh, and that was, I think we will rock you. I, I'd have to go yeah. back and look, but I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. I think, and even, 
And even We Will Rock You, like, I think the thing that's really unique about that, it's actually a technically a medley. Like, if you listen to it on yeah. the album, we'll, we'll, We Will Rock You is immediately followed by We Are the Champions. Mm-hmm. And, like, when I, I do karaoke, since we're talking, as I'm on the nerd show, so I can share this, and it's okay. Uh, because that's what we nerds do. But uh, if I do that song, if I do, I do Queen all the time, and you, you can even ask DeMarco, he's heard me sing. He's heard me do some Queen. Mm. But um, if I do We Will Rock You, I won't do it unless it's both We Will Rock You immediately followed by We Are The Champions. Because it just doesn't sound right at all. But uh, oh, love those guys. I, same. And I think that it's a band that is criminally underrated and as far as bands go man they're they're, frankly they're my favorite white band them and steely dan those are my two favorite white bands (laughs) i love steely dan yeah but i would yeah it's them it's uh steely dan uh queen um uh the isley brothers which is an underrated oh the isley brothers are fucking great yeah 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 they go back and look at everything they influenced the best bass player in the world, in my opinion. A guy named uh, Les Claypool, who's the uh, the ba- bass player for uh, the band Primus and a bunch of other stuff. And Les Claypool, the only guy I know on the planet who created a band where the bass is the lead guitar yeah. and is so good yeah. that it works. And he yep. auditioned for Metallica. And when he, he talks about his audition where he walked in He's like, hey, you guys want me to? You guys want to rock out on some Isley Brother tunes? And Metallica was like, you are not for us, because <laughs> they just couldn't connect. But oh yeah, the Isley Brothers are great. Great. I've, I've, I've never heard a bassist do the things that my man for Primus can do. It's like it's not even it's not even a it's like it's not even a bass guitar. It's like just a a regular guitar. Oh, it's, it's it's unbelievable. Ridiculous. Yeah. So what are we doing the music podcast, fellas? When are we creating that one? I mean, look, what, <laughs> uh, yeah, that needs to be a thing. Clearly, sports, right? <laughs> that clearly uh, yeah. needs to be a thing. Yes, just off that, this conversation. I mean, I, at the very least, I'm going to do an episode of the of bandwagon nerds on it. I can tell you that we got to do something on on well, music and musicianship. Like, well, yeah. let's do this. Let's do this. We do, we do have to talk some sports. So, oh, yeah. let's take a break, and we'll come back. And we'll actually start for the first time in 20 minutes, the three-man weave. All right. I like it. So welcome back to the three-man weave. We've enjoyed talking about music, and we could keep doing that all night. But again, it's the three-man weave. This is the sports pod. So we're going to start off with a little MLB news. So Major League Baseball is... Talk about music again. Said it again. Talk about music again, boo. No, <laughs> right. Th- thank you for throwing me off when I was trying to lead us into the topic. That works well because you know I drink and I'm a drinker. Thanks a lot. But <laughs> that being said, so MLB is coming back. Major League Baseball is officially coming back. Opening day is going to happen on July 23rd. And gentlemen, please correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe it's going to be a 70-game season if I'm not correct. Say it I again. Thought it, I thought, I thought it, was it was 60. 60. Yeah, I think it's 60. Okay, so they they settled on 60. Thank you. Thank you both for for clarifying that. So, yeah, so we're going to get a 60-day MLB season. And my thing is, man, you know, with baseball, 
obviously you need good pitching. Obviously you need good hitting. But other than that, other than those obviousness, I don't know what constitutes a good baseball team. Like it's not like football or basketball or even hockey, you know, sports where chemistry kind of means something because it's so individualistic in what they mean. So I feel like we're going to have a team that comes out of nowhere and is going to be, you know, set the world on fire here. I'm thinking maybe the Kansas City Royals. I would love it if it was going to be the Houston Astros with everything that going on. Plus, plus Dusty Rose is their manager. Or Dusty Rose. Dusty Rose. Dusty Rose. Rise from the grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we going to need a squeeze right here, baby. I'm going to need you to sacrifice Blunt to go ahead and get this man over to second base, baby. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Dusty Baker is their manager. And, you know, Dusty Baker, in my opinion, he's basically the Andy Reid of baseball. He's a guy that his his flaws are very plausible, so we can all see them. So that's why we critique him. But at the same point in time, he tends to get the best out of his athletes wherever he's at. And they obviously improve. So, I, I you know, and, it, you know, the world must like Andy Reid. Not much now how the world looks different than Andy Reid because he got that Super Bowl this year. I feel as if... The at the uh, San Francisco Giants, if they didn't blow that World Series in Game Six versus the Angels, people would look very differently at Dusty Baker's career. So that being said, I could see a particular scenario where perhaps the Houston Astros win, and I'm all here for it. If the Indians aren't going to win, I'm here well, for the Astros well, win. If if I may jump in first and foremost, um, please somebody else talk. Your your. <laughs> Your comparison, while on the level it's apt, is wrong because Dusty Baker gets fired every three years, number one. That's number true. two, number two, okay. if Dusty Baker wins in the Houston Astros, he will get absolutely zero of the credit because the Astros were in the World Series last year and won it three years ago. It is the same team. He'll get no credit because everybody knows, and no, no offense to any other team in the league, probably the best guy on the bench got fired. Because the players did some fuck shit. And, and that's the thing is, like, that's what he gets is he gets the credit for winning honest. Like, like is that really? And, and it, with and that whole cheating scandal or whatever you want to call it, like, that team was too talented to need to do it. And it's ridiculous to think that nobody else was doing it, by the way. But whatever. <laughs> they just got caught. <laughs> we yeah, know better that, now. They, right, right. We know they better got now. caught. It's right. baseball. Everybody cheats. If you, if you ain't cheating, you, you ain't trying. Can I, I, I'll throw a team out there that I think everybody should watch out for. As, a, as an NL Central fan, it, it pains me to say this. Watch out for the Cincinnati Reds. If you want to talk about a team that could catch fire in a 60-game season with all the moves that they've made, because they were the busy team over the offseason mm-hmm. in, in making acquisitions. Like They pick up Castellanos. Their lineup from top to bottom can hit. And can hit and hit and hit for days. And they have good, talented, young pitching. So they've got the ingredients to, at the very least, give teams a lot of trouble, if not be a sleeper pick to win the Central. And in a 60-game season, that you know, you were talking about this, Platt. The thing about a 60-game season is that it really does make it any team's ballgame, especially as you start to see players opt out. We've already had three players announced today that they're opting out of the season. And not wow. insignificant names. Ryan Zimmerman opting out of the season for the Nats. Uh, that's that's a huge, huge deal. And, you know, the one of the ones impacted the Cardinals, but I didn't really care because he's 
sucks for us is Mike Leak. Like he's like, I'm not playing. We were like, okay, that's cool. But, um, <laughs> but I think that in a in a shortened season where you're not going to have these long stretches where a team can get cold for a month but then still rally, and you bet like I don't think the Nationals win the World Series this year if if they play a 60 game season. They were 20. They were they were dead in the water 30 games into the season. And they, yeah. you know, 30, 30 more games ain't going to be enough to make it up. So yeah. I, I, I really look for, you watch those teams that start hot because they're probably the ones that are going to be there at the end. I don't see somebody starting slow. Like I don't see my Cardinals doing shit this year because we can't hit and we're, we're a long game team. We're a whole yeah. 162 game season where we just grind you down and win 87 games and get into the wild card and then piss everybody off because we win. Like that team ain't that team ain't doing it this year. And and to your point about chemistry, Chris, um, it's 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 weird in baseball because you don't need whole team chemistry, but like the second baseman and your shortstop need chemistry, right? Your outfield needs chemistry. Your your set your two setup pitchers before the night the closer and the closer need chemistry, right? Your catcher and your starting staff need chemistry. Like, but the whole team don't have to have chemistry, but the little sub pockets need chemistry. So to Patrick's point, maybe an older team that gets started hot early can do this. Like the two teams nobody's talking about, at least that I haven't heard talk about, are one is probably the biggest name on the on the hill right now. The Dodgers are stacked and they're stacked every year. And right. their biggest problem is they fall apart at the end. Well, the end is like Two months away. And <laughs> much like basketball, if I ask the average basketball fan to tell me who won the championship last year, you can't tell me because nobody cared that Toronto won. The Nationals are the quietest champion we've heard in baseball in years because of the scandal of what happened yeah. to uh, the Astros and the Red Sox and now the Yankees and the Dodgers keep losing and this so much. I know Zimmerman being out hurts because he's their number three or five hitter, depending on which lineup you run. But you, I mean, they still got the best, they still got the best five starting lineup. And I mean, starting, um, starting five, maybe the rotation, the pitching that, rotation. Yeah. Yeah. They might have the best rotation and definitely in that division, maybe in the whole end of central or in the NL. And remember there's a universal DH. So it's, it's not, pitchers don't have to hit anymore. Right. Universal DH for 60 games. That changes the way you play. So one of the things, and we talked about this before we went live, talking about the uh, the book Three Months in August, man, written by Buzz Bissinger. And it really, it was illuminating to me for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons they talk about the that Atlanta Braves dynasty that wasn't. Like, you, you remember every year for what? 10 years the Atlanta Braves were going to be in the playoffs but they only won one World Series during that whole time and the reason being you have Glavin, you have Maddox great pitchers but the only one that threw smoke was John Smoltz and the thing is in in the postseason the strike zones get exponentially smaller so you're going to have to throw some heat to the players so it, it, it you know it it behooves you to have some some pitchers that could throw some heat past yeah. the Mellon Farmer in the batter's box. You know what I mean? So that's going to be interesting. And too many that got more heat than Strasburg. 
<laughs> well, and Scherzer, Scherzer's nothing to sneeze at either. Yeah. Uh, like Probably a better pitcher. Weird, right. two different colored eyes thing hey, he has going on, but whatever. <laughs> he, he throws strikes. He wins games. I'll tell you the other thing I love about this shortened season and the thing with, like, it's going to get us a DH in the National League, which I think is going to become a permanent change after this is all done. I just don't see us going back. The other thing I am looking forward to this season, I'm already seeing it with some of like these rosters. We're going to get to see some players you might not expect to see for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Some of these younger players, like the Cardinals are, we're, we're all stoked because we're going to see some of our younger farm system guys actually get to play. And, and St. Louis is notorious for loving their veterans. There's a reason why 9,000 year old Yadier Molina doesn't get more rest. And I love, I'm a Yachty guy, but yeah, I, I don't need, I, I don't need Yachty playing 120 games in a season behind the plate. When you got a young catcher who can hit, sit in the bench. And when Yachty got hurt, we, we were a better team. Don't tell, don't tell but, anybody. But he, but he was there during the glory years too. So you got to have some, you know, oh, no. respect for you, that. You, you got to, you, you, you know. He is a Cardinal Hall of Famer. He will be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. I'm not so one of those people who thinks that he's necessarily going to be a Baseball Hall of Famer because catchers don't go to the Baseball Hall of Fame. You you want that experience. He is a he's a master at getting the best out of okay pitchers. You look at the amount of pitchers that leave St. Louis and don't become and don't stay good after they leave. There's a reason yeah. for that. That's Molina. You were talking about relationships, Ray. Pitcher, your your pitcher, your battery. That's that's where it's at. And Molina does do that well. He can mentor the next guy and be a part of that team. And I, I he still plays the lion's share of the games for the Cardinals. Like, I don't think he's not the starting catcher. I just don't think he needs to be an everyday behind the plate kind of guy. He's going he's gonna to pass Ozzie Smith yeah. this year for games played as a Cardinal. Has an outside, has an outside chance at uh, number two is eluding me. But and Musial, he's not going to catch because Musial is like a three thousand some game, so he's not going to get there. I don't think before he retires, just no way. But he's he's been two thousand games. That's a lot of freaking seasons, guys. If <laughs> if if Pudge can make it to the Hall of Fame, I think Yadier can. Uh, Yadier, doesn't, Yadier doesn't hit though. He just no, doesn't hit. Oh, that's the thing. Pudge yeah. was a hitter, man. Like that's not fair. Though, yeah, Pudge was I, I a hitter, mean... man. Maybe. We're talking about Ivan Rodriguez. If y'all don't know who Pudge, oh no, yeah, Pudge, Pudge hit home runs. He hit home runs. He could, um, he could hit, he could hit for power. He hit for a better average. Yachty wasn't a great hitter until about three or four years ago, when he really started to change his. Like he wasn't a black hole in the offense, but he moved up to the number five spot around the time towards the end of Pujols' time as as a player there, when it was like Pujols, Yachty, David Freeze that that line up there but uh he's he's without question one of the best defensive catchers ever yeah, he's with, with with there's no question there like people don't run on him still and his arm is not the same and i put him in in the category of robert ori is he a hall of fame player no but do they win those titles without him no, no, they don't. don't know. And you know, and we all remember, man, in the in the two thousands, man, there was that quick run where either the Cardinals or the San Francisco Giants were going to win the World Series. Like that's what that was, that run. And he was very instrumental on that. I don't necessarily yeah. think he's going to be a Hall of Fame player, but again, I, I put him in that Robert Ori category. 
there's a there's a guy I listen to on the radio that he talks about the Hall of Very Good. Mm-hmm. I would put Yadier Molina in the Hall of Very Good. Yeah, I ju- and I and this is coming from a Cardinal fan, and so Cardinal Nation, if they were listening or when they're listening to this, I, I know I'm going to get called the blasphemer. Uh, I love Yadier Molina. I love I love these on my team. I think any team wants him like you hate him if he's not on your team but you would love him if he's on your team i just don't know if he is the complete like i when i don't look at him as hall of fame i I look at him as cardinal hall of fame and the st louis cardinals have a hall of fame he's gonna be in there that's one of the best things skip bayless ever ever came up with was that the hall of very good oh is that who came up with that well it may have been somebody else skip was the first person i heard say it Oh. But the thing he says about it makes, and it really changed the way I think about baseball Hall of Fame's more particular because in NBA, it's not an NBA Hall of Fame, it's a basketball Hall of Fame. So what you did in the Olympics or another another country or NCAA matters. But in baseball, just in, just for MLB, right? If I have to think about if you're a Hall of Famer, you're probably not. And I think that is a really astute way to think about it. Like if I really have to consider is should you be in it, it's probably a no-go. I hate the Baseball Hall of Fame writers because this is the thing. He may make it in because they're right. so sanctimonious and self-righteous. I mean, think about this. Well, yeah. The all-time hit king, the all-time home run leader who may be the best baseball player at least since World War II is not in it, and the best pitcher arguably of all time. All three of those individuals are not in the Hall of Fame because they've got to bug up their ass when it comes to steroids. So they're kind of they're searching for people. They're desperate for people. So there may be people that yeah, might not necessarily have got in that are well, going to get in now. And to your point, is it Omar Vizquel, I think, is on the list yeah. or yeah. somebody like that? Yeah. Like he might get in this great year. Def- great defensive shortstop. Maybe the second the best, best defensive shortstop well, other than Ozzie yeah. Smith. I put yeah, Ozzie b- before him. But yeah, Hall of Fame caliber. Did he get? Well, he got three thousand hits though, and that's kind of the the magic number with baseball. I think he right. did hit three thousand hits, right? Yeah, that's think, kind of the, the magic he did, number. He, he played yeah. for twenty years, now, man. He played for about Pete Rose, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I have qualms about the Pete Rose thing because it's not the baseball writer's choice to keep Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is not on the ballot yeah. because he did some stupid stuff. If he was on the ballot, they would have put him in, even if he messed up, because he's. He never did anything. Well, I mean, he of course he did, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's there's there's nothing that he did that you can't go back and see proof of what he did. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, well, the and reason, what he the, did, the whole he didn't do of, that as a player either. No. Yeah, he did as a manager. Yeah. Right. So he would be in if he was allowed to be in. He's just not allowed. But yeah, your oh. point about Clemens and and uh, Barry, Barry Bonds, Bonds yeah, yeah, completely completely yeah. agree. Yeah, the, the, integrity, the integrity of the game argument is such a, a weak ass argument that gets used. And, and, you know, you brought up the steroid era and, and it's, you know, ironic. A couple of weeks ago, ESPN did that really bad, by the way, bad, <laughs> worst 30 for 30 ever made yeah. about oh, Sosa McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> is, is I was so excited about that. Platt, you remember me asking you about that? I was yeah. like, oh, are you guys going to we talk about talking, that? Yeah, we, we, and then we were I excited this, about it, yeah. And I watched this, I was like, what is this trash? The, the idea that baseball writers themselves, these gatekeepers of the Hall of Fame, weren't just as complicit in the steroids era of baseball 
as if they didn't love every ounce of what happened during that time period is laughable. And so to sit here on a sanctimonious perch and be like, Bonds shouldn't get in. Ken Cam- like Ken Caminetti had his own problems, but he was another big one. Bagwell doesn't, des- you know, made does made he didn't deserve to get in. McGuire doesn't deserve to get in. Sosa because they ruined the game. Clemens, Bonds, all like what? What are you talking about? You were right there, writing these beautiful art- articles about how these guys saved baseball with the fucking home run and the strikeouts, and, and you're trying to tell me that now they don't. They don't deserve to get in. That they sullied the game. That your your commissioner enabled and knew what was going on and pumped it up. That the writers were complicit in and were writing great story. Like we followed Sosa McGuire everywhere they damn well went. We followed Barry Bonds for every single home run that he hit, every single one of them. And then we and we glorified the crap out of that. We celebrated that. And then we we decided later after the fact, well, no, this is bad. Jose Canseco wrote a book, and when it turned out he wasn't full of shit, we were like, like the writers were suddenly like, whoa, well, we can't, like, they ruined the sanctity of the game. They saved the fucking game. And, and the game, and that, and to game. bring it full circle to this, this 60 game season thing is going to crush baseball for a really long time, a la the 94 strike, because these so. guys. Oh, I absolutely think so. Yeah, they, so they, we should have been playing a month ago. No, okay, so let, let me ask you this, man. I don't mean to cut you both, you both Sorry, off, I but so, because I the thing. Boxed. No, you, you good, bro. I, I appreciate you. You're soapboxing. I'm, I'm with you. Everything you said, but crush the game. I don't know because I, I honestly, I kind of think this is a good thing because 162 games is a lot of fucking games. And granted, the money. When it comes to the, the the TV rights deals and stuff like that, they're going to suffer. But at the same point in time, 162 games is a lot of games, man. So, I, you know, yeah. I think this might be a good thing overall. Granted, I, and I'm, I, I say this from a guy that loves baseball. I really love baseball. But it's hard for me if I'm not in the ballpark. It's hard for me to sit through an entire sure. game unless it's a playoff or game playoffs. like that. So or playoffs, I, yeah. Yeah, or playoffs. Like, So I think this might actually be a good thing. They might need to... To lessen the season a little bit. I mean, well, but let's be real. We're talking about the number three sport in America right now. Right. 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 Like this is already the team that's trailing. Like this was their window to be the to be the sport pack. And they were they were so fucking bad at it and were squabbling over games and money. And I I fully I'm mostly with the players when it came to this whole thing, because the owners tried to job them six or seven different ways. The owners got the result that they wanted in terms of number of games. They wanted as few games as possible. And there were owners actually advocating not to play a season. And that tells you all you need to know about where the money was really involved there. And these players basically were just fighting for the right, for the best check that they could get out of their contract. But they have, uh, I apologize, man, but has, have any of you guys uh, heard about some of the, I guess we'll say, updates that they've tried to make to the season? Like which one? Like the like the like the extra innings rule where uh, yes, the last guy out yeah. 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 those types of things. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Please, let's get into that, please. Uh, well, before we do, before we do, I want to re- respond to Patrick real quick about the season. 
I, I, I'm with you. I think baseball has been irreparably damaged, um, at least in the eyes of maybe casual fans. I think the casual fans are really what's going to hurt the most, yeah. But, but because uh, history shows us that people don't care about what happened in the past as long as what happened in the present is more interest- entertaining, if they go out there and have a hell of a season, and I mean it's like Sports Center uh, uh, highlights galore, yeah. And then it's a great postseason, and we have a really entertaining "quote unquote" champion because you can't be a champion in sixty games in the baseball season. Right, That's right. hundred and sixty-two. But I don't think people will care as much. Yeah, I I agree. I think that I worry that this is another ninety-four. We yeah. were talking about the strike short season, and it took ninety-eight for baseball to really come back. And that's yeah. and I agree with you. It's it's gonna to me. It's gonna take something pretty special that captures the casual fan that brings in people that don't like. I'm a I'm a diehard. Baseball is my favorite sport in the whole world. I almost played in college. Like that was that was gonna be my thing. And so I they have me. It's like the WWE. Like I ain't going anywhere. Like I'm gonna watch. But yeah. it's that person that may have had like there was an opportunity to take that person who may have had a passing interest who didn't have anything else to watch absolutely baseball season is the summer and they fucked it up and and they really embittered even a lot of fans like myself to where yeah i'm probably gonna watch i don't know when i'm gonna start watching and that and that and that bothers me so the thing that you brought up, man, and you 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 brought up WWE, and I think baseball is kind of in that same vein where they've got rid of the casuals and it's they've whittled it down to the hardcore fans because right. you know most people that love baseball, and I'm I'm probably gonna get a little bit of heat for saying this, but baseball gets passed down like it's a father and son type oh, tradition yeah. oh. or. Or in, in my case, my grandfather, because he was a huge baseball fan. So he's the one that passed baseball down to me. And then, you know, and that that connection doesn't necessarily exist anymore. So, it, you know, people, most people, number one, thanks to smartphones and Twitter and, you know, whatever the fuck else, man, we all have the attention span of raisins. So most people don't really even understand the nuance and the subtleties of the game of baseball and why it's so beautiful. Oh yeah, I I can't. The little O'Dowd has no patience for for baseball at all. Yeah. Like, and he, I mean, he's eight, so he uh, he is not as big of a he's he's not even a sports kid, uh, which crushes me a little bit because like he does not understand why I get so mad at the television watching sports. But he talked about relationship. He was my dad. Like my dad, like I knew how to throw baseball before I knew how to do just about anything else. Yeah. And I can remember watching Cardinal games with him. I, he was my T-ball coach. And I remember he, he taught me to round the bases like Ozzie Smith uh, with, with Ozzie Smith's running style. Like I would have my arms flying out like Ozzie Smith. Like that guy was my hero. And yeah, I was indoctrinated. And the, the little, the little O'Dowd, like you can't, like I still watch games and you, you talked about studying. Like that's what I do. He, he don't get it. And I, I can't seem to be able to impart it on him. And so it's gonna. It would take something. Like I said, it's gonna take something special. Do you do you think that has to do with the kind of? Um, I think you can you can look at it as um, 
not the not not the homogenization of sports, but Sports Center has kind of killed sports in, a, in as much as it's done good for sports, right? Because people just want to see highlights now. Like when you watch, yeah. like for example, people who grew up our ages, and I'm the youngest. I'm 32. I'm the youngest in, on this call, but I grew up playing little league, going to the ballpark, hanging out. Like, so you go to a baseball game. Like I took my daughter to a game. I don't know, at some time in, in the middle of last year, last uh, season, at last. But by the sixth inning, she was gone. Like, completeness is over. Babe, we got like three more innings. It's probably another hour and a half. <laughs> and Why? You know, that's the, but you look it for home runs and stuff. That's the funny thing, though, you bring up, man, because if you take, because, you know, my, my, my lady, Amber, man, she obviously, she's not going to sit down and watch a whole nine-inning baseball game, but I've taken her to baseball games before. We've gone to, you know, professional baseball games, and she was into it. But, you know, there, there's something to be said about just being there in the moment. But, again, this is a sport that gets passed down from generation to generation, and that there's a disconnect here now because, Again, like I said earlier, man, I love baseball, but if you don't understand, it's hard for me to, because, you know, my, my attention span has been, you know, listened as well, but it's hard if you don't understand the nuance of the game and the subtleties of the game. It's very hard to sit down and try to explain to somebody why, while nothing it's is happening, why it's dope. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. yeah it's, it's difficult. It's got to be like, no, you got to watch the outfielder and how they shift to the left or the yes. right based on no. who's yes. Imagine yes. explaining to a child why a 0-0 game nil-nil in soccer is great. <laughs> I, I, so, j- go ahead, Pat. No, I, I agree with you. Though I will say, you know, we're talking about the little doubt. Soccer's his game. That's his jam. So just real quick, some of the rule changes that have taken force in, in, in this 2020 season. Obviously, we talked about the uh, the destination hitter is going to be in both leagues. Uh, one of the other rule changes is that an extra innings rule that allows clubs to have a runner in place on second base. Uh, inclusion of the three batter minimum rule that requires pitchers to face a minimum of three banners before being substituted. A ban on spitting items. So that includes sunflower seeds, peanut shells, tobacco. Yeah, it's dumb as hell. And then pitchers will be allowed to carry wet, wet rags in their back pockets to be used for moisture instead of licking their fingers. You know, that's a whole, you know, uh, COVID rule. But, you know, we know pitchers cheat. It is what it is. Hell, right. Phil Necro. Phil Negro made a whole goddamn, he's a goddamn Hall of Famer, and he made a, he talks about it openly, oh yeah, that's the spitball, or whatever the fuck, right, like, oh, yeah. Phil Negro makes a whole industry, like, Phil Negro makes money off of talking about that shit, one of my favorite jokes in the movie Major League is when the old man pitcher uh, is sitting there showing all the different chemicals he's got on his body for different, for ways to load the ball up, and it's, uh, it's good stuff. The, the only one of the rules I'm offended by is I was offended is a bad word, but I really have a take issue or umbrage with is the pitcher has to do all three batters. Yeah, I get why. I get why because it like going after the sixth inning baseball games can get really long, but you're killing strategy now at this point. Right. That's yeah. It's gonna really hurt the specialist. Like, why do you have the left-handed, right-handed specialist pitcher? Mm-hmm. In, in the in the game anymore the the thing that i think is 
troublesome about it too is it's all done under this guise of trying to make the game go faster mm-hmm. and moving it along more quickly when the fastest way to resolve a game and to make it move more quickly would be to pitch get clock. rid of what pitch clock no pitch clock isn't even it either it's a strike zone it's a get rid of a, a human eye strike zone have an automatic strike zone where a strike is always a strike based on something that's picked up and recorded because when a strike zone is consistent the pitcher then has to pitch and the hitter has to hit to that zone, period. And it's not to Platt's mood that day and whether he's going to call an outside strike. And, you know, you talked about Greg Maddox earlier. Greg Maddox's strike zone would be different than Patrick O'Dowd's strike zone. Yeah. And so a consistent strike zone makes the game move faster because you're going to have fewer walks. You're going to have more balls put in play, too. That's the other thing is when you know the strike zone and you know that it's automatic – and that an umpire human eye isn't doing it. You're not working an umpire anymore. You're, you're you're upping the mechanics of the game and it'll move it faster. And they've done this in some minor league. There's data for this. Like there's some minor league stadiums that have done or leagues that have taken this on where you still have a safe and out umpire behind the plate. You still have that there. But at the end of the day, they're not calling balls and strikes. It's being called automatically. And it, it games like that. Because there's no question. Really? Yeah. I love that idea. But then another thing that you have to also factor in is that, you know, these games are played for money. So the longer that we can have a game, the more commercials we can fit into that game. You know what I mean? Fair enough. enough. Yeah, Yeah. but even networks complain about how long the damn games are. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball, Baseball is an excellent local revenue market. And that's one of the things that's really fascinating when you look at baseball as a sport and the teams and where they make their money. A lot of them make it off of local television revenue coverage. And so that's why things like like I can't stand that as a Cardinal fan, I can't watch my team play because yeah. I don't have a local affiliate unless I buy one of these MLB packages. But mm-hmm. Fox Sports Midwest, which covers the Cardinal games, tele- televised games, they make bank for themselves and the team and so it's those games that get the ad revenue nationally nationally espn wants that game to go fast they don't want that game going until four o'clock in the morning they hate that (laughs) good point so yeah but but that's why those teams these teams are making so much money man because for a six month stretch you know prime time from 7 p.m to 1 a.m including the pre-game the post-game and the actual game your yeah your 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 lineup is set for six months and that's why right. these baseball teams are making more money than they've ever made for exactly what you said yeah. oh a thousand percent there's a reason the Cubs created their own network yeah so well yeah they're trying to copy the Yes Network so let's yep. do this let's yeah. put a, let's put a bow on this uh, I'm go around the horn and you tell me who you think is gonna win the World Series I can we call it that with the cha- the quote unquote championship Patrick who you got uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. What? I'm going to say the Cleveland Indians, but I'm biased. Homer. I don't think they will, but fuck it. Yeah, I'm a homer. Yeah. I, I kiss my ass. I'm a homer. <laughs> I'm, I'm also going to go Dodgers. I feel like it's so apropos that this is the year they finally break through. It's the year when it's out of full season. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk some Cam. Oh, Cam. <laughs> Hotel. India. Echo. Lima. Delta. Shield. 
Hey folks, listen up, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Pins, stickers, illustrations. Angrylemonade.net. This is my yard now. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the Three Man Weave. And as we alluded to earlier, prior to the break, Cam Newton has finally found a team. Cam Newton has signed, I believe it's a one-year deal. Please correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. One year, seven and a half million dollars. With the New England Patriots. Number one, I think that that's totally and utterly disrespectful considering this was a former MVP in the league and led his team to the Super Bowl. Two, I understand because he's coming off a severe injury so people don't know if he's going to get be able to get back to that MVP form. But shout out to the Patriots because, I mean... What do they have to lose? And at, at this particular point in time, if the Browns are going to make the Super Bowl, I literally want the Patriots to make the Super Bowl. And I talked about this on these very airwaves, and I feel as if I spoke this into existence. I wanted the New England Patriots to pick up either Jameis Winston or Cam Newton and just shove it down every single NFL pundit's throat. Everybody that talks in that coded language and uses those dog whistles when it comes to black quarterbacks. I wanted the New England Patriots to shove all that shit down their melon farming throat, so I'm here for that. And I want the New England Patriots to win the Super Bowl this year for that very reason. <laughs> Go ahead, man. As a, God, so here's the thing. Massachusetts fans are the worst. Boston fans are the worst. As a guy who lives in Massachusetts, I've been around. I've been around. And this comes from a Cardinal fan. We are an insufferable fan base. I can own that. Massachusetts fans are the worst. If I got to listen to another freaking Patriots fan go nuts over another Super Bowl, I swear to God. And I want want Cam Newton to succeed. You're a good white person, man. You're a good white guy. So you know what the fuck I'm talking about when I'm talking about yeah. them dog whistles and yeah. shit like yeah. that. You know well, exactly here, what I'm saying. Here's what's, you here's know. What I, and here's what's funny, to, to take this a step further, the reaction in New England of this signing, like the my Facebook page and my, my Twitter account, uh, all my New England friends are bitching that they're paying $7.5 million for Cam Newton as if that's too expensive. Jared Goff makes Chase, thirty-one Jared, million dollars. Oh, oh, oh. Jared Goff makes thirty-one. Chase Daniel yeah. makes thirteen million. So, yeah, like, game, so yeah, good point. Like it's it's hilarious, and they're they're you were talking about a dog whistle. I right before the show, I wanted to make sure that I was up on at least kind of what was going on today. That I didn't want to I didn't want to look inadequate. And there's an article, and I want I. I I'll share it with you after the show uh, on CBS sports line or whatever. Richard Sherman commented about the contract and talked and, and called it out. Right. I, I saw this, that as well. Yeah. I know this, what you're this, about. this dude writes an article that's like, well, yeah, Richard Sherman has a point, but maybe all these other teams are overpaying for their backups. 
And I was like, what are you trying to say here? You're trying to make excuses for Cam Newton had a couple of bad seasons with shitty teams around him, you know, and that's, and that's the problem with being a quarterback in the NFL, right? Like team's not good. It's clearly the quarterback's fault. Like they did it all, but this guy's arguing that 7.5 is like this reasonable price for an MVP caliber quarterback who I don't think is done. I certainly think he's got more mileage than Brady who just got how much money for Tampa Bay 16. Well, okay. So that's different. It's Brady. Right. But the, the, the talk about black talk about the code of language, right? Right. 7.5 is a lot of money for a backup. Cam Newton is not, Sitting behind Jason Statham. It's not happening. <laughs> Bro. And, Are we serious? And, and the thing is, and the thing is, if you want to make the argument that he's coming off a severe injury, that's fair. Because frankly, but but that being said, man, I feel like he was wasted in Carolina all those years in that bullshit ass David Shula offense where he literally had to do everything. Yeah. And they didn't do anything to try to work on his mechanics. Like, you know, just compare that to Aaron Rodgers in New England. Like, granted, he got, what, three or four years to sit behind Brett Favre, and they totally changed his mechanics. Like, the only argument that you ha- can have with Cam Newton is that he's not that accurate of a passer. But the reason he's not that accurate of a passer is because yeah, he spends a lot of time throwing well, that too. But he spends a lot of time throwing a lot of passes off his back foot, which is obviously going to affect his mechanics. But his arm, but he's physically so talented that he can do that. But that's my point. Like, you got this guy. He's your franchise quarterback. Why wouldn't you spill some time to kind of work on his mechanics? They didn't. They stuck him in that bullshit-ass David Chula offense where he had to do everything. It was him, uh, fucking Jimmy Olsen, and... Greg Olson, I'm making part. Jimmy Olsen, Jimmy Olsen Superman. Superman. Yeah, Jim, Superman. Jimmy yeah, Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it was Greg Olson and fucking Ted Ginn. That year he won the MVP. Well, Ted Ginn right. caught 15 touchdown pass that year, but he also dropped 23. So this is what he's been dealing this, with this his true. entire career. Well, yeah. and you, you and you hit it on him throwing off his back foot, and we we would talk about metrics. I mean, Cam Newton spends as much time running for his life back behind that offensive line, just like Michael Vick. Like people talk, we used to talk about Michael Vick in his career. And this has been shown time and time and time again with black running quarterbacks, whether it was Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, Michael Vick, Donovan. Cam Newton, Donovan McNabb. There's this assumption that you don't protect that quarterback for some reason. They get hit more often after their pass and penalties don't get called. Like it's, it's actually, it's, data it's not even imagined and so you've got quarterbacks running for their lives and not probably playing to the potential that they could because the tools around them aren't enough and and they're not being taught um, and they're not being protected in a way that an Aaron Rodgers was or groomed in a way that you know an Aaron Rodgers was and if Aaron Rodgers trips over his own shoelaces the flag is out and and to your point Chris about the injury thing missed me with that when uh, Drew Brees got signed with his elbow caught in an L. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. that don't mean yeah. none to me. Yeah. But, right. uh, 
Don't, you, don't you, feel bad about that because uh, J- famous Jameis is going to take that job. And they're going to say that Drew got some sort of injury so he can save face. But Jameis took that job because he knew that was going to eventually be his job. I'm, I'm saying it right here. And I said it on this airways. That's going to happen. That's I happening. Hear you. I hear you. But Mickey Loomis, but Sean Payton, and everybody in that locker room thinks that Taysom Hill is going to steal that job. I well, think Drew, it's absolutely ridiculous. Can yeah, we washed. all agree that Drew's washed? Drew's washed? Can Drew's we all agree Drew's washed? Yeah. yeah. That when you, when you have to better con- with Teddy. Yeah. When you have to continuously have starting level backups, you're, you're washed. But Patrick mentioned something that was very poignant to me that I really want to expound upon for just a quick second here. Why is it that the black running quarterbacks always get hit the most? And then, and, and Cam Newton in particular. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of white quarterbacks to get too. I'm not trying to say that it's not. But it's something these guys just are not protected. Cam Newton has been the most over-criticized, underappreciated quarterback of our generation. And I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest Cam Newton fan. Don't, don't get me, don't get me wrong. But I mean, we don't speak about former MVPs and guys who almost won a Super Bowl in this manner. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, and the only other guy that I could think that's close to it that would not be black is Ben Roethlisberger, but he's a dick. Uh, but like but you, Ben you don't get the calls either. Roethlisberger, you you mispronounced his name, sir. That's Ben Roethlisberger. You're yeah. correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but yeah. he doesn't get the calls either, and and because he's a truck. And I think part of it for Cam more so than these other guys you mentioned is that he's so big. It's almost a Shaq rule. Yeah. Well, I can't call. No, I can't no, call no, on the other guy. No. Because you're so huge. No, that's exactly, and I want to, and, and POD, I want to get your thoughts on this, but that's literally it, man. It's the Shaq slash LeBron rule because you're just this intimidating physical presence. I don't really know how to call you. So, it, it, you know, it, if we don't add some physicality to the game, we have no way to stop you. So we've got to kind of change the rules because you're just so. You're this dominating physical presence, so we've got to kind of move the rules around that, and I feel like that's what it is. I think that's a big part of it. I think that it's fascinating, though, when you look at the level of contact that it takes for a not Cam Newton to get hit and see a penalty call. When, when, and whether that's whether that's you're a superstar Hall of Fame quarterback like Tom Brady or a $13 million overpaid backup in Chase Daniel that, you know, or Mitchell Trubisky, I'll even pick on my quarterback who's mm. trash. Like Mitchell, Mitchell gets again, looked at funny and we're going to, we're going to call that penalty, but we, we do, we look, we, I do think officials get caught up in the physical gifts of athletic mobile quarterbacks. And you saw and, and you know, we talked about this with cam, like cam's, talked about this in press conferences like he's like i'm getting crushed and nobody's calling anything michael vick's career was probably shortened because he was so adept at running and not getting hit that when he got hit and and should have been protected he wasn't protected and that's yeah. part of the official's job. That's why we have these quarterback rules. It's why we have the unprotected receiver rules that, that you know, drive fans nuts and talk, you know, complain about the game getting soft or whatever. It's because people, we don't want people to 
get concussed and, you know, kill themselves. And yet certain players, it doesn't matter. You know, look at a big physical receiver. Look at a um, Larry Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald can go across the middle, get creamed, and he almost never has yeah. anything called on him because he's so big and strong. And so people just assume that well, that there was a clean hit. Well, to, uh, you said something again, very, very pointed again. Um, but it's I, I would make it, I would kind of make the analogy akin to society in that mm-hmm. the rules are the problems. It's the execution of the rules. Yeah. Right, the rules are the problems because I, I think every person, even the people who were giving me football, where they want the leather helmets and <laughs> want people to be knocked out with smelling sauce and pulled off with the little cart, you know, even they can understand the rules. It's just the execution is so terrible, and then not only is it terrible, but it's not consistent at all. There's no think about it. This is the same sport that put into put it that made a rule that said you can challenge a pass interference call. And every pass interference call that was challenged was, nope, it's still pass interference, even right. though it was blatantly not, right? So it's, right. it's just, so I think so much of this is on the officials for just right. having, making terrible calls. If, Locker charge, if, man. Man, look, thanks, Rex Chapman. Like, it, it, every every game, you could do that with Cam Newton. Right. Every game. And it'll so, be better now because he has a better line and he has the best mm-hmm. running back room in the business. But and the, and the best and the best football coach. Oh well, like, yeah, that's yeah. What I, was about to say. And, and, I hate and, the guy. But he's the so thing. Good. And that's the thing, man. I want to go around the horn here, man. What do you think is Cam Newton ceiling with the New England Patriots? Because I'll put you put it to you like this: their offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, that's the Miller Farmer. He's the reason we had Tebow mania because he went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over Tim Tebow when he was the coach of the Denver Broncos, and then they ended up firing him. But that's neither here nor there. You know what I mean? That 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 has nothing to do with the price of rising China. But a guy that went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over Tim Tebow, he's got a more athletic Tim Tebow that can actually throw the football. And like, he's, he's, he's got to be. Yeah, his dick is hard. He's got to be jerking off right now in his wherever he's at, in his cubby hole. He's got to be jerking off to see that he's got a more athletic and a Tim Tebow that can actually throw the football. So, but that being said, there is some deficiencies on this Patriot roster. They don't have a lot of weapons, but we've also seen Cam perform well with not a lot of weapons. So, what's the ceiling here? I, I want them to win the Super Bowl. The Browns ain't going to win the Super Bowl. Like, let's keep it a buck. The Browns clearly aren't going to win the Super Bowl because it's the Browns. <laughs> but if they're not going to win the Super Bowl, I want this team to win the Super Bowl. Hey, Platt. Yes. Nope. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> it's the Browns. We know this. We know this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, PLD. Uh, I think that they're a regular season 10 and 6, 11 and 5 team, which is always when the Patriots win the Super Bowl. <laughs> is when they have that season where they kind of underperform a little bit. And uh, I think that what concerned, I you hit it on the head, Platt. I think that you've got the quarterback. Do you have the people for him to throw it to? And that's that's the real big question mark. Now, the Patriots always seem to do more with less when it comes to that. And I think that they'll they'll find a way. They just, they always do. Uh, I think that they'll, they'll hit their, they'll have their, running back that catches passes out of the backfield. They'll have their slot receiver. You know, you still got Edelman. Um, 
you need a tight end, but they'll they're gonna win, I think, ten to eleven games. I think they're in the playoffs. I don't know that I am as bold prediction as you for the Super Bowl, but I think that they're gonna have a pretty darn good season uh up against lowered expectations. I want them to win the Super Bowl. That's their defense their defense is still the NFL. Their their defense is still pretty damn tight too. Like that's the other thing is people forget how good New England's defense was last year. Like a lot well, of that's, that's coming back. Yes. That that's a big part of it. They do they might have if not the best top three defense in the league. So that'll help. Right. Um again, I please don't let this be misunderstood. But it, they have easily the best running back room in the business. Right? Yep. They have four guys really? that can start. Yeah, really? easily. Really? I said We're room. Gonna, I didn't say uh, the best running back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, I was about to say we're gonna uh discount Nick Chubb and um Who's the other the brother from Kansas City that's with the Browns now? We're gonna uh, until Kareem Hunt can, that. Until Kareem Hunt Kareem can prove Hunt. that until he can prove that he's not gonna knock a girl out on camera, I can't give him any credit. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> too soon. <laughs> too it's soon. been two years, man. God damn. He's and he missed almost all of last year because of that. Um, I also want to note that Julian Edelman, Muhammad Sanu, and Nikhil Harry are not a bad. Top three. That's the best, the best receiver he's ever played with. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And that's um, the sad part, though. You're absolutely terrible. right, but that's the sad part. You're terrible. right, but goddamn, um, yeah, you're right. You're, they they need a, They definitely need a tight end, which is doable. You know, you right. can pick somebody up um, that can just get you 40, 50. The the Bucks have a million of them, right? Um, but uh, ceiling. I don't think that you can say by any stretch of the imagination just forecasting that they'll be better than Baltimore or Kansas City right now. Yeah. But they will probably go 11 and 5, as you say, because the NFC AFC East sucks outside of Buffalo. Yeah. Um and that's going to be happy about this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But you telling me that New England with Cam Newton, who was ostracized for a whole year, going against Tampa Bay with Brady, going to play his old team, ain't gonna do numbers in the Super Bowl the year after COVID stopped the world? I'm just saying. My thing is, man, I'm interested to see how this football season plays out because you yeah, know baseball's been. trying to come back. Exactly, baseball's trying to come back. NBA's kind of trying to come back in the. The NBA thing has already been a disaster. But if there's no football, yo, man, this shit's going to turn into the Hunger Games. I know how you melon farmers feel about your football. And if there is no football this year, this will literally turn into the Hunger Games. Am I wrong <laughs> in that assessment? Well, no. it's already it's already started because Fight Island's first fight is this weekend. So <laughs> it's already started. <laughs> it's already started. Uh, That's what we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and get those, give some flowers to a legend who deserves them. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. So, with the NBA coming back, there was a gentleman, which we all knew this was going to happen, but it became official like a referee's whistle, which was Vince Carter, officially announced his retirement 
from the NBA. Gentlemen, 20 years. We all have our favorite our favorite Vince Carter moments. Is he a Hall of Famer? First ballot. First ballot. Easily. First ballot. I mean, Scotty Pippen's a Hall of Famer, so why wouldn't Vince Carter be a Hall of Famer? Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it. Come on. Let's get it. Yeah. You set them a little, little more to come up to suspect. A little? I okay. was going for a lot of disrespect. What are you talking about? I was trying to give you a bit of a doubt. I'll say six, this. Six, six seasons without, six seasons with Jordan versus the seasons without. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Anyway. Uh, just <laughs> I'm why? sorry. Just I'm just playing. I love Vince Carter, though. I do think he's a first ballot all favorite. Just like Magic Johnson never won a title without Kareem, Jordan never won a title without Pippen. Are we just going to disregard that? When Jordan left the Bulls, what happened to the Bulls? Like, just well, tell, me, tell me I'm wrong. Pippen left they too, Rodman, um, uh, Phil. Pippen was done, and Rodman was done after oh, they left you, the Bulls. Oh, you, oh you're but, talking about the afternoon. What about those seasons where... That where Jordan decided to play baseball, what happened there? They were the best team in the league until they didn't. They didn't win. The they didn't win titles. And, well, they, and the, they didn't even make it to the finals. And the referees decided they wanted the Knicks to win the finals. They gave a bullshit Scott, phantom Scott, call. Scotty Pippen, Scottie Pippen sat on the bench and pouted for Look, a game. So, for we, the record, there's no excuse for that. There's no yes. excuse for that. You are absolutely right. But if we are going to be held by our worst moment. <laughs> <laughs> then man, we all look. I'm a LeBron fan, so if you're gonna throw out 2020, 2010 at me, I can't say nothing to you. Yeah. I can't say a word to you. Yeah, it's 2011. Yeah, there's no defense for that. I think that I think being action made my night. By the way, that was, that was, <laughs> here's, here's the thing: is I I loved those Bulls teams. Are you kidding me? Like I, I was junior high. I watched them all. I love Scottie Pippen. I'm not saying he's not a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying if Scottie Pippen's a Hall of Famer, I think Vince Carter is. Uh, and I think that you want to talk. You, we thought he was going to be the next Jordan yeah. when, when he when he came on the scene and he, the dunk contest. Vince Carter, like he was the Raptors. Like you just, you just, like he was the franchise. Like That's it was cool. To know. It was cool to wear fra- Raptor shit because Vince Carter was on that team. That's important to note. Remember, Toronto and Vancouver started at the same time, right? Right. They were they they were brought to the league at the same time. Vancouver Grizzlies were fronted by Bryant, Big Country Reeves. Yes, that's right. Were fronted by Damon Stoudemire, right? That then that was kind of the thing. Yeah. Vancouver eventually had to move because Steve Francis didn't want to go. They had some good players, but. Pau Gasol is a Hall of Famer himself, but it just wasn't working. They had to move. The very reason the Toronto Raptors are still a franchise to this day in Toronto is because Vince Carter made them a national, not Insanity, national, baby. global entity single-handedly. Because remember, we, we look back at, at those Vince teams and we think of T-Mac and Antonio Davis. And like, that Vince did like two or three years that where he was the highlight, right? He was it, yeah, 1,000%. He, he, and the go ahead, Patrick, please. Well, and just the fact that he could still go for twenty years in the league, like like that, blows my mind. Like when you look at careers now, twenty years in the league, 
and, and to be a, a top guy, like that's and that's ridiculous. Add add to that, I think a lot of he's compared a lot to Allen Iverson because of their time together. They would draft to think a year apart or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they played against each other so much. You remember that big that major in two thousand uh, two thousand one? I would think that major um, uh, series where the Raptors played the Sixers and the Sixers beat them in game seven because Vince missed the shot, but he went to go graduate the day before. Right. Like, but he did the one thing AI couldn't AI could not humble himself enough to say, I'm going to come off the bench. I'm going to be a role player. Vince reveled in being a role player to extend his career, which I think he was already easily a hall of famer, but I think that put him over the top because he expanded his game. He became a knockdown shooter. He shows grit. He could still dunk on your ass at 40 if he needed to. Like, mm. I love that. Yes. But the thing with shooting guards, man, that position isn't as deep as we think it is. Like, it's Jordan, it's Kobe, it's Jerry West, it's D. Wade. Wade. And and after that, you know, there's there's a little bit of a gap right there. So, <laughs> uh, you know. I think Drexler's yeah. a clear five. I think Drexler's a clear five. Uh, uh, he took two teams uh, to finals. To, he took two as the uh, star. No, no, no. He, uh, okay. He, 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 he did. He did. He yeah. did. He did. But can you could definitively say that Clyde Drexler was better than Mitch Richmond? Can you definitively yeah. say that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Mitch Richmond to get you buckets, though. Don't get it twisted. Mitch Richmond That's what I'm saying. Like, that Portland team was stacked, man. They had Terry Porter. They had Jerome Kersey. They had Buck Williams. Like, that Portland team was stacked. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But but can you say that he was definitively better than Mitch Richmond? I don't think you can because that time, after that 92 series, when Clyde Drexler lost to Jordan, where they were building that whole thing up, like, oh, is Jordan the next – or is is, uh, Drexler the next Jordan? And Jordan torched that Mellon Farmer. His production dropped that very next year because not only did that coincide with the finals, it also coincided with the uh, the uh, uh, Olympic team, the dream team. And mm-hmm. his production dropped. I'm not saying that Clyde Drexler is in the Hall of Famer. I'm just sure. saying. But we also yeah, have it's to, not. We also, yeah, we also have to. We also have to factor in um, uh, team success because if we just talk about who's the best player, like one on one. Then there's a lot of people like Hakeem is the best center ever. Then if we talk about that, but I mean Hakeem is the best center ever. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm, I'm just joking. I, with all great. due respect to Hakeem, he's a dog. But yeah, best ever. No, he's Who's a dog. Hakeem as a center. Will Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He gave Kareem buckets in eighty in eighty six. He gave Kareem buckets when he was a rookie. Kareem. Kareem Bill might Ru- be the Bill greatest. Bill Russell. Yeah, Bill Russell. Kareem and so, Will—that's the top tier. So this how this how centers go: Kareem, Will, Bill Russell. I'm not saying whatever order, but that's the top tier. And then that next tier, you've got Shaq, you've got Hakeem Olajuwon, and you've got Moses Malone. And then everybody else is next. So that's, I, I that's the tier. That's how it goes. I, that's how it I goes. You. But I think we give—I don't want—I don't want to speak about Bill Russell because I'm going to speak some blasphemous stuff. I don't want to do that. But <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that because my, my thoughts on Bill Russell are so against the norm that I don't want to do that. 
But um, the Kareem argument, Kareem is easily the best center ever because he has every record and he always won. I have no qualms about that. But I'm just saying, if we're talking about, you're saying Mitch Richmond's better than Clyde Drexler. Mitch Richmond didn't win anything. Clyde Drexler consistently won. So if you're talking one-on-one, I think Hakeem would give it to to Kareem one-on-one at the same age. Easily. At 7'4"? And at 6'9"? Yeah. At 7'4"? At 6'9"? And that was the question. No qualms I'm about it. I'm not sitting on the logic line. Because well, the logic line was guys- a dumb- you're forgetting the most important part, guys. You're forgetting the most important part, and that is that um, Kareem knows Kung Fu. <laughs> I mean, the dude, the dude, tra- the dude trained with Bruce Lee. That's like fair. how you go- how you gonna stop that? I can't I can't fight that. You have a good point. <laughs> I see my argument. You're correct. <laughs> I I truly trained with Bruce Lee. He was on the four, and I was on the third. <laughs> I trained under Bruce Lee. He was on the four, and I was on the third. <laughs> so, 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 question. Let's go around the horn. Question for y'all: What is the definitive Vince Carter moment in your mind? It can be a dunk. It could be a game. It could be a celebration. It could be anything. But the definitive Vince Carter moment that, when you think of Vince, you say, "That's it." What is it? He jumped, dumping, dunking over that seven foot three Frenchman in the Frederick Olympics. Weiss. Frederick yeah. Weiss. That's the <laughs> definitive Vince Carter moment. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's a dog. It's the arm through the through the hoop. Like, it's just nuts. So I was going to say the Frederick Weiss dunk because that's the greatest dunk in human history. <laughs> yes. He literally yeah. dunks over a yes. seven-foot-two guy. Yes. Um, but I'm going to be a little different just because I want to be different than Platt and don't want to agree with him, even though he's right. And I'm going to say that the dunk he did on Dikembe in, like, 98, let people with this, let people know that hey he for real because like he tattooed his number on the Kim Bay's chest like and you know and I think that will always be in my mind that showed me or better yet I give you a better one the uh, the Alonzo Morning Duck yep New Jersey I mean he he's the reason we have the phrase posterized <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a great. Would he be the reason, or would it be Dominique? Because I mean, no disrespect to Dominique. No, Dominique nobody was the human highlight. Human highlight film. Yeah, but we weren't talking about like you didn't put talk about putting people on a poster back when Dominique was playing. Like, like if you look at when the 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 phrase and the nomenclature happened, that was Vince Carter, like posterizing yeah. people left and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I still remember that dunk, man, in 2000. It was the 2000 Olympics, man. I was uh, was in college at the time, and I was laying down. I wasn't even watching the Olympics at the time. I was laying down, and all of a sudden, my roommates, well, not my roommates, but the the, literally the dorm right next to me, which were our friends, because you know how that goes in college. You meet some friends, and y'all all try to make sure that y'all room together. All I hear is, oh! And I hop up thinking some shit is gone wrong, horribly wrong. And I hop up like, hey, what's going on? And they went in there and said, hey, play, watch this. And I watched the replay. And I watched this man literally jump over a seven foot three Frenchman. And literally, that's the greatest dunk I've ever seen, even and to this day. That's, that's the, the most, definitive. Go ahead. I was going to say, that's not the craziest moment in that whole moment. The whole moment is that Vince Carter had hair. That's the craziest moment. <laughs> <laughs> he had Afro. That's the craziest part. 
So we remember his time in Toronto and, you know, it got cut short, but he also had a good run in New Jersey. And I mean, the fact that he's been hanging on for 20 years, he's been in the league for 20 years. And again, we, we, we talked about it briefly, man, that shooting guard position, it's not as deep as we think it is. There's a case to be made that he's, you know, at least top 10, maybe top five, but at least top 10. In, at that position, well, is he a two guard or a three? Because I look he's at him as a two. two. He's a two. He's, he's he played three most of his career though. If he was Jordan's a three in a two, he's a two. If Jordan's a two, he's a two. I mean, okay, I can't argue yeah. that twos and threes are interchangeable, but he was a three to me. Yeah, I always, I always NBA basketball is so interesting because is there is there really are there positions anymore? Well, it's there's so there's like there's really, point guard and then there's wing not. and big, right? I think point guard is still a position. Yeah, you got if you got a good guy who's steering the ship, then ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, like you can't go wrong. So it's just it's so interesting because you've got you've got seven footers now who can bring a ball up. Oh. You know what I mean? And that's and that's what's yep. Kevin Durant. Giannis is unfair. Like he's just unfair. Mm-hmm. Like he he. Oh, it's crazy how good he is. But um, it's amazing to see how much basketball has evolved, you know, and we were we were playing the comparison game. Vin, Vince Carter has a lot to do with how the games altered, mm-hmm. it, especially in the late 90s and early 2000s. As we look at like when you have trouble de- defining where somebody's playing, that tells you that their versatility made that they could play all over the place and made you a better player. All right. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Vince Carter, man. He's clearly a Hall of Famer, and I think we can all agree with that, and we need to celebrate his career because he provided us with moments. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about is the moments? Isn't that all we remember is the moments? You know what I mean? No, it's about the winning. It's about the winning. It's about the winning. I'm sorry. No, that was was a very sweet and somber moment. Yes, Mm. all about the moments. And, well, yeah, aren't you a Suns fan? What the what you, what you, what y'all you, want? What have y'all can, won? Can, what have y'all won? Can I can I can I use your what statement? Why are you bringing up old stuff? Why you bringing up What have you won? Talking about it's all about the winning, and you're a Suns well, okay. fan. Okay, like the Suns well, are in the bubble. Work. Where where are the Cavs? Two sixteen, twenty sixteen, twenty sixteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of this conversation because. Because we all know when the last time my team won a championship. You, your team got championships. You can talk all you want. That tw- 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm a Suns fan for one. Cleveland won in 2016, and they got walked out the building. Like, you can I, talk all you want. I, I, I will say my favorite post-NBA uh, title celebration was the year we beat the Suns. Because at uh, the park where they would do the celebration – they used to bring up the Saturday Night Live super fans and they would make fun of Dan Marley and how to pronounce it. They'd call it majorly the whole time. It was great. Bob. And, and we were and we were talking about uh you're talking about the Knicks teams earlier. You want to talk about a guy I hated more than life itself, John Starks. I hated John Starks so much. Again, would love him on my team. Hated, hated him playing against my team. Nice, nice. That's funny, man. But before we get out of here, man, first and foremost, man, Patrick, brother, 
thank you for coming on, man. We really do appreciate it, man. I always, anytime you and I get to chop it up, man, and converse, it's always a pleasure, man. So I appreciate you coming on, man, especially uh, on such short notice. Hey, I'm I'm happy to do it. I, I love the way I found out. Okay. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, I, that's I get it. this message like, yeah. you're going to make your three-man weave debut today. And I'm like, I am. And, <laughs> but but uh, so, it was great. I had a great time, you guys. I got to tell you, this has been a blast uh, from beginning to end. So thank you so, so much for having me on the show. And uh, I would love to come back sometime. You know, if Tony has another operation, uh, I'm happy <laughs> to jump on. So I, I know Platt says... We put out the plat symbol to call them. Did we put out the POD symbol for you? We put out the pod symbol, yes. The pod right? symbol, yes. Appreciate yeah, that. That was... I appreciate you being on, brother. So I'm again, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. So, real quick, man, let everybody know where they can find you. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. I do two podcasts for the Chairshot Media Group on Chairshot.com. I do Bandwagon Nerds. Those episodes drop every Tuesday. This week we talked a little Michael Keaton as Batman, so give that a listen. And then I um, also am on the Chairshot Radio Show with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales. We drop that one every Wednesday. So that's, that's, not that's sure what Greg's spot. got for us. That's the sore spot. That's the that's sore spot. Why <laughs> Because the former Chairs are radio host, or you're speaking to them. So that's a sore spot. Uh, I, I, I know, man. No, no it's, it's, it's a joke. It's I a was, joke. I'm I, was, glad I was told to twist the knife. Um, <laughs> talk about it's, how much okay better to, the show it is. It's okay to twist the knife, but you ain't had to pull out like some lemons and spray the lemon citrus on this too, bro. It's, well, it's well, that's okay. You know, I wasn't on the show this uh, this past week. I, I had to listen to Greg and Miranda go on for two hours. Uh, while I was, I mean, I, I was struggling. I was on a beach, but uh, oh. I, I got through. Yo, such a struggle. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so that, that, was, was, that, was, that was a flex, by the way. I'm mad at that flex you just threw out there. I'm was, not mad at it. It was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real quick, Ray, man, why don't you let the good folks know where they can find you, sir? Ray Cash, Black Lives Matter, at It's Ray Cash. Again, Black Lives Do Matter. You all can find me on Twitter at the Real C Platt. You can find me every what Thursday on the Chairshot.com with Plot is War. And you can also find me on uh Around the Blocks with Mike Knox. That comes out around Monday, Tuesday-ish on the Chairshot.com. But more importantly than all of that, if you enjoy the content we provide day in and day out at the Chairshot, make sure you show us some love and appreciate it and understand that the only way that we can continue to provide that content is because of listeners like you. How do you want us to keep keep, keep bringing that content on? You got to forgive me. I've been drinking. Yeah. The best way is to go to com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. We've got something for everyone. We've got G's did the job, save tag team wrestling, hashtag journalism, and many, many other cool ass designs. Again, if you enjoy the content we provide day in and day out at the chair shot, make sure we can, can keep keep providing that content day in and day out by on the pro forward slash the chair shot please and thank you thank you and please the chair shot.com it's not just a website it's a movement and i hope i didn't jumble that up too much because i've been drinking so forgive me i've been drinking watermelon well anywho 
Yo, man, we thank Patrick O'Dowd for coming on this week. For my brother, Wake Clash, I am Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt. Thank you all for tuning in to the latest edition of Three Man Weave. Until next time, shalom. The sun is the center of the earth in the middle of the universe. Then why is this verse coming six times rehearsed? Don't freestyle much, but I write them like such. Word. Amongst the fiends controlled by the screens, what does it all mean? All this I'm seeing. <laughs> Human beings screaming vocal javelins, sign of a local unraveling. Uh-huh. My wandering got my wondering with crisis and all this crisis. Hating Satan never knew what nice is. Check the papers, well, I bet on ISIS. More than your eye can see and ears can hear. Year by year, all the sense disappears. Nonsense perseveres, prayers laced with fear. Beware, two triple O's. It might feel good, it might sound a little something. But damn the game, if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something. But the game, if it ain't saying nothing. Damn. Was it something I said? Pretend you don't see, so you turn your head. Race scared of his shadow, doesn't matter. Thought of reparations, got a plan with the population. I gotta, I gotta tell you guys a little thing. When I was doing my rant about Barry Bonds and, and the steroid era, I get this text from my wife that was like, shut up. I can hear you all the way up on the third floor of the house. <laughs> I'm trying to put the kid to bed. And, That's funny. And what, what I think she said, I am not happy with you. <laughs> that, so... That's- that's going in the, in, in the cold outro. I want you to know that. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> Mrs. O'Dowd was not pleased. That's <laughs> so. funny.